dedicated to reviews and discussion of TV, movies, and books. Look for us at Daily Review on Facebook and Twitter and dailyreview.com on the web. That's D-A-L-E-Y review.com. This is Paul Daly, here with my wife, Caroline. Hey, guys. And tonight we're here to discuss the most recent episode of The Handmaid's Tale. This one was the fifth episode called Seeds. What do you think seeds means, Paul? It's actually metaphorical toward the beginning. I agree. Definitely, it felt like seeds were being planted this season as a whole, because now we know there's going to be a season three. You know, we need something new to be happening here. So something's got to be a brewing. And this episode was not spilling the beans, but it was planting the seeds. Right. Yeah. Although, but I honestly think like, like I said, I find I feel like this entire Season two is going to be a seed planter. It's a little Johnny Appleseed going around planting the seeds. (laughs) This episode did not sit well with us. It did not. This one was a pretty rough one um, for a whole lot of reasons. We're going to be honest with you guys as reviewers. Um, You know, we may not delve as deeply as we have in the past with episodes, partially because we feel like that the creators are... Really taking a lot of uh, sort of like extra effort to show us things that are especially gruesome. And I feel like we don't need to dwell, I guess, as much as we want to talk about the impact on the storyline those things have. And we may direct you to like, you know, feel free to like look into this more on your own. Um, But, you know, this isn't something that we're going to talk as deeply about. For instance... This show has already tackled things like female genital mutilation, basically institutionalized statutory rape. I think we can all agree that's disgusting without getting too deep into the whys and what force. I mean, for sure, from the get go, that is what being a handmade is. But I feel like you're you're getting into the, um, you know, the child bride portions of this, yeah. you know, is a, is a whole other level that we were not as ready to deal with. To be honest with you, we were not we didn't know we signed up for that when we said we'd review this show. <laughs> right. And so, you know, as soon as we saw that portion, I honestly we were like, oh, I mean, I know that typically in the past we've done a lot of homework and we bring you guys back research on, you know, very various ways that this is maybe is really happening in the real world. And this is one of those stitches where it's like, you guys are welcome to Google it. We're not going to be doing the research for you because this is obviously an extremely heavy, sad, dark topic that that by no means is the majority of this to be taken. Like we would like to watch this as entertainment, but certainly I don't want to watch a child with an adult man. And this is going to get very very unwatchable for me if we have to see Eden in bed with Nick. Like, I feel like that is going to make it like, and now I can't really watch these scenes at all. It's true. She won't. She'll. Will you? Can you? Well, I can run through the mantra of that's an actress. He's an actor. They wouldn't let her be in any danger, blah, blah, blah. But that really takes you out of the, I hate watching things like that because like I've mentioned before in this podcast, I kind of like to let the entertainment just take me away and see where it goes and just believe what it says. 
and I can do that for almost anything, you know, but right. when it has to, when I have to be like, no, no, that's a special effect. Then it's, then it, then I, then I lose that and well, it becomes less enjoyable. And in this particular case, I also feel like it was like, okay, they were pushing the envelope completely by having the situation be, you know, this handmaid who was, who was having to be a part of this against her will, but she was an adult person which and, and in many of them already had had children you know, and had had, you know, some sort of involvement with a man. But this would be a case where, I mean, these are young children now that we're preying upon. And that's a different show. So to be clear, we're not not talking about that because we're just turning a blind eye to these real world issues. Not at all. It's in fact, because our hearts are so big and that this is such a real thing that it is extremely difficult to even act as if this is entertainment. So we, I mean, we will talk about it in in terms of like how it affects the storyline. But like I said, don't expect any research or that we're going to start, you know, delving too deeply. If you want to lighten things up. Yes. Then uh, go back and think of that episode of the Simpsons where Homer gets in the business of marrying off animals to people. And, he, and there's this charming sign at, next to his his animal husbandry stand that says something like $20 extra for chimp brides. <laughs> oh, my God. What? <laughs> yeah. I thought, that's when you said child bride. For some reason, I thought chimp bride. And it really lightened things up for me. Yeah, that really lightens things up. Not. Yeah. Wow. Weirdsville. Chimp bride. You're a chimp bride. Hashtag chimp bride. (laughs) Okay. All right. Well, so like we are going to uh, discuss this with you guys, not in terms of the chronology of how this actually happened in the episode, but we're going to try to chunk it out by the different settings that we have or the different characters. So this time we're going to start off with the colonies because they had a very capsulated existence in, in all of these episodes. But in this one in particular, it felt very like we were supposed to be learning lessons in the colonies. Just in a way to keep us aware that Emily and Janine are still okay, but not really, you know, going super far into that. Like if you compare the amount of story given to each lead, Emily or June, (laughs) Emily gets very little screen time in comparison, which I understand. It's just, it's just like a check-in. So this story I filed under something, if you are a Lost fan, you knew about science versus faith, faith versus science. I don't think this is that. This is more like faith versus just not faith. Okay. I like that. She didn't argue anything about science or anything like that. She was just like, look around. How can you still believe in God, basically? How can you still believe that God is looking out for you and going to save you? I don't even think that's the same thing. You can believe that there is such a thing as a God and still be Emily in this That's scene. a good clarification. That's but exactly you, right. But, yes. the, but Janine's more childlike. God is my is a parent figure who is going to somehow, you know, come and whisk me away that she was like, that's not a thing. Why do you think they felt the need to spell this out? Why do you think they felt the need to have Emily have to go through this journey of a kit and Fiona getting married, you know, kit dying Janine's entire stance that like, well, at least she died happy. And at least they had these like stolen away moments of happiness, you know, with this wedding. Why do you think we had to actually examine that between Janine and Emily in that little like, I don't even know what that was like underground, stably kind of area. Emily loses her tooth in one scene because the radiation is starting to get to her. Right. So I would equate that moment with her whatever hope she had remaining that she would just somehow be immune to radiation had bottomed out so her she had 
come. She's starting to succumb to the radiation. Yeah. Right. I believe that this <laughs> example set by Kit and Fiona was meant to reinstill that maybe you may not survive this thing, but it doesn't have to be horrible either. It's kind of up to you mentally how to how to and emotionally how to deal with it with your time left. That's okay. I'm I'm gonna ask you a follow up on that then. So that seemed to me like Janine's argument in this situation was that you don't have to you can still maintain your own uh, sort of sense of self and your sense of like her still believing in God, despite everything, still believing in love, still believing in marriage, still believing in in the, the ability to be happy. What do you think that Emily's stance was? Emily's stance was we were sent here to die. We're all going to die. So why bother you know, believing in all these extra things because they didn't, like you said, decorating the slaughterhouse. Yeah. They, I mean, they didn't stop us from getting here and now we're most certainly dead. Here's an interesting concept that I'll throw out. The concept of decorating the slaughterhouse. The reality is we're all going to die. Every single one of us and everything that we do every single day to pretend like we're not is decorating the slaughterhouse in many ways. To an extent. Yeah, it is. I mean, we are all one step closer to death with every breath we take the end. So you could take Emily's point of view and just apply that constantly everywhere all the time. The reality is that I think if you want to maintain any of your humanity, you have to push those thoughts away, no matter how real it is. Even if your tooth is falling out, it's like unless you're ready to just literally curl up and die right this very second, then the only way that your mind can exist is if you allow for your heart and your soul to have other things to think about besides death. Like there's just there's there's no way around it. The the minute that you allow those parts to die, then then you have essentially died. When she when she put the flowers on Kit and put her little hand over it and smiled at Janine, that was sort of uh, an apology for the way she'd acted and sort of like a even like a seeking of of approval a little bit. You know, not that you would need it from Janine since she's who she is, but it still seemed that way. In I, that, think in it, that I think it was an acceptance of her point of view. Whether or not Emily adopts this point of view is one thing, but it is an acceptance that it was a valid point of view. Emily may look into this point of view with more depth, but she's going to She's going to need to do it her own way. She just can't have that open sense of faith that Janine To me, has. I think that, that it may plant the seeds of her being willing to seek getting out of here finding a way to get out of here. Because I think that, you know, we've talked about this before. Do you know how sometimes it's like, if you're by yourself, it's harder to be brave. But if you have someone else that you feel like you might be in charge of, um, whether it be a younger sibling or a child with you or something, suddenly you feel like you have to be like twice as brave. I use a silly analogy, but like when I was younger and I would fly by myself, I would maybe feel less sure of myself. But if I had like my younger brother with me, I would be like very sure of myself. Like I'd be like full of confidence. Like we're, this is where we sit. This is what we do. This is how we do it. You know, like just very sure of myself because I was taking care of someone else. So I feel like Janine's like sort of, more childlike, more innocent, more wide-eyed, everything. I feel like Emily is called upon Emily's like ability to be brave and confident and take care of her, you know, and other people around her even more because she obviously had. And I think that's what that whole tooth scene was about was it was less about that it, it was getting to her, but it was getting to her despite the fact that she had given all of these precautions. Like she had been telling that other wife, don't use the water. 
don't wash your hands with the water. Use the alcohol. Don't, you know, don't yeah. put all, all these things that she had been doing, these precautions, thinking somehow it was enough. And so once she realized, like, this is going to get you no matter what, like her tooth just falling right out, it was like, I think that's the seed, what we're talking about in the colonies, that's going to propel her now to find something far more drastic than just trying to get along. Isn't that always bizarre in movies and TV where someone discovers that they have a tooth that they need to manually pull out, how they can just be like, mm-hmm, going about was, my business. I think it was so loose. I don't think it was a matter of just manually pulling it out. I mean, I think it was just dangling in there and she was kind of like, what's in my mouth? And then she pulled it out to realize it was her tooth. That would explain the surprised look on her face. Because otherwise, you know, yeah. we all have, most of us have tongues that kind of loll around in our mouths as we're walking I think around, it was like, there's know? something in my mouth. What is that? What could be just like, loose in my mouth you know yeah i think that was the like feeling of like holy crap you know and it seemed like it was a big old molar too like ah, ah. so the seed for emily is rekindling hope possibly instilling faith maybe giving her confidence i think to try to find other ways out of here and i'll also give you another little symbol the dandelion finding the dandelion and janine blowing it that was blowing the seeds she was blowing the seeds literally she saw the dandelion in the field that that meant something was able to grow first of all think about that something was able to grow in this field and she blew the seed and it just distributed the seed you know by blowing on it and so She made her a little wish, you know, all that kind of stuff. And so I feel like it's that was like very symbolic. Moving over to Gilead. Which is a shockingly um, a sadder place than the colonies in this week. We've got two big stories happening in Gilead that only intertwine a little bit. Um, There's the miscarriage in action that June is concealing. And then there's, as we mentioned before, Nick's child bride. Let's cover the miscarriage first. Well, it was not a true miscarriage. Right. So, um, so just to be fair, right. right? It is not a true miscarriage. Um, so we have this slow build of various degrees of bleeding throughout the beginning of the whole episode here throughout the episode, I should say, um, in that, you know, we have very graphic ways that she finds out that she is, um, spotting. And then, you know, they show more blood when she's wiping herself, going to the bathroom. Then they show her sitting in that bathtub. All full of blood. Right. I am like flummoxed about that scene. I, I don't know if the point of that is just to show us that she is so removed from her own existence there like she's had like uh, like an out-of-body experience almost that she doesn't mind doing that like she just has no real response to all of this i mean that's obviously a very graphic way to portray that i'm not sure if it's necessary to show all that this is the kind of stuff that i from what i'm listening to and reading on twitter and and collecting up from friends and and other fans that are watching this is the kind of stuff that is grating on them to have no real like explanation as to like why exactly are we having to have this amount of like bashing us over the head this is just a theory a single episode theory i think that the increase of the blood flow and the mess and then it's it's abrupt end with her in the hospital 
we assume it ends because she because they're taking care of her finally. And, well, and there's a heartbeat. That is the moment when June reemerges from Offred's shroud. So it's like the the blood has to do with being Offred, right? It's it's sort of like it's killing you, basically, or it's killing something. Okay. It's a graphic way of being like. Offered bad for you, I think. So, okay. So let's like, let's explore that a little bit. So the, the concept of she basically from the moment she accepts being offered, her body is like rejecting. Even though she's kind of turned off a lot of what makes like, I, I'll call it like her higher functions. Like if she was a robot, it would be the stuff that makes you actually think and act like a person. Um, there's still enough of her there that recognizes that, I mean, this is like so against everything that she is. And it seems almost like a fight or flight. And it and it seems like the internal portions of her body or even the baby itself, however you want to look at that, the seed, if you will, right? Yeah. Is like rejecting this, rejecting the idea of like being inside Offred, like being inside June. That's one thing. Being inside Offred, that's another thing. And like not being willing to go along with the program. You know, I there were so many moments, you know, where she tried to show that she was going along with this offered thing where she got pushed back in the strangest of ways in this episode. So like when she got up and she went and she found those letters and she decides to take them downstairs and burn them. Mm-hmm. I was completely shocked that Nick saw her, stopped her and appeared to take the rest of the letters and like wash the stuff down the drain. He's a terrible eye. Well, it's... <laughs> Why did, I mean, it seems like he would have had access to go up and get them from the bathtub at some point. So it seems kind of like, huh? But like I was saying, like pushback, like, why are you acting this way? What are you doing? That kind of thing. And I know he expressed concern to, to Serena Joy, which brings up a whole other thing. But before we get to that, even Serena Joy herself Ex- like pushes back on her embracing being offered. Like, you know, they go on that walk and she is like chiding her. Like, why are you acting like this? Why aren't you talking back? Like, I don't want to carry all the conversation, blah, blah, blah. And it's like, this doesn't even make any sense. No, you didn't like the personality she had. You don't like this compliant personality. How many pa- personalities does one person need to give you, Serena Joy, in order for you to, to be okay? I'm like, honestly, I am like flummoxed with this part because she if june said anything she hauled off and hit rita right so then it was like uh i mean i don't i have no idea what she's supposed to do and i feel like it was a strange indicator though of like serena joy's like i think she's losing her freaking mind the it does fact seem that, that way that she thinks that she could yell at june for saying yes ma'am no ma'am and for like being quiet and only speaking when spoken to is like all right lady like you've lost your freaking marbles you know so but it was interesting to me though that there was consistent pushback from the people around her everyone of her being offered everyone didn't actually want her to be offered like, it was so strange yeah well she spent all first season being Offered June. And so I guess they got used to that personality and they know that this one is just severely depressed. And remember, it's like it's like what I mentioned earlier. It's that the true Gileadians believe their own bullshit that you can just be happy if you get a goal with the program. Right. So how can she be going with the program and not be happy? I guess that's that could be it. I, I, I mean, it's very difficult. I mean, I feel like our head Gileadian who believes it is Lydia. And, you know, she's acting as this record keeper. What an interesting role they've given her in this episode. You know, very much speaking the truth, like you said 
said, you know, they walk this line of like, yes, they're saying the right things, but they're like utilizing the words in all the wrong twisted ways. But it's like the things they quote unquote believe in are not bad things. You know, like Lydia being like, it's so important that she has a happy home and that everyone is calm. And, you know, there's so much more to her world than just being, you know, physically pregnant. Like there's so much more to this. And then like, meanwhile, she's like got the cattle prod, like, don't you step out of line. What would would you call Lydia? Because she's not the doctor. She's like a midwife in this particular sitch, I think, where... Because she, she does seem to be tending to things like holistic care, yes, right? It is, it, well, it's a, it's, holistic is a good word, and I would use the WH of holistic, like whole care. Like like what she was saying about like it matters not just like that the, the fetus is like physically growing, but like how is she, how is June... Well, I shouldn't see June. How is Alfred eating? How is she happy? Is she taking walks? Is she getting fresh air? What's the mood? You know, those kinds of things that, that the doctor is not, does not give a hoot about. That moment. I don't know, a listener, if you have ever had to deal with a part in your, a period in your life when either you have been an infirmed party or you've been around someone like a grandparent or something like that, but you get used to this kind of medical-esque banter that has to take place. It's just like a exchanging of information. And one of those things that has to be exchanged, of course, is when your last bowel movement was. This is just like something you just talk about. Like if you talk about this at work, people would be like, what's your fucking problem? <laughs> right. <laughs> but, if, but if you happen to be in a hospital bed, then it's everybody's business. Right. 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 So right. the fact that Serena Joy piped up and was like, it was yesterday afternoon or whatever. She was like, oh boy. But Lydia looked put out that Serena Joy answered for Alfred. And I think that again, this is what makes Lydia such an interesting character because she actually seems to be reading the room for what it is. And it's like the only character who does. I mean, I know Nick mentions things. Don't get me wrong. He's trying to know what's going on. But Lydia, like, actually seems to know what's going on. You know, I mean, she calls Serena Joy out on the smoking and quitting the smoking. She is, like, constantly, like, you know, taking all the notes and stuff, which that scene, oh, my goodness, being all like, oh, am I a bother? Like, have I made myself like underfoot kind of thing? And then Serena Joy's like, nah, you're fine, whatever. And then she's she's like trying to be civil with Lydia. And I know a lot of people were taking the fact that Serena Joy was like looking at Lydia writing because Serena Joy had been a writer previous to Gilead being um, all up and going. And so maybe that she was jealous or envious that Lydia was walking around reading and writing. And Serena is not allowed to. Hey, I'm no, I'm going to give that. There could be a slice of the pie of Serena who felt envious that she is getting to read and write. And here isn't Serena Joy supposed to be above a Lydia status? She's she's Waterford's wife. Like, isn't shouldn't she have the highest status in the land? Two things I want to mention here. Okay? The second part of that, though, of course, is the fact that this is almost like a therapy session where you say something and the therapist is like, mm-hmm. And then they get out their book and they start writing. And you're like, what are you writing? And they're like, no, nothing, nothing. And there's writing and writing. And then Lydia's like, turns out I don't have time to have tea. And it's like, toodaloo. Like that whole part seemed like, uh-oh. Now, see, what I was reminded of was a personal story of ours that I can share. Uh, when our kids were very small, being premature, that it was um, common for our house to have therapists sent there from various parties, whether it's private insurance or government workers there for to do something with the children. And 
I can remember Caroline saying, the workers coming here in the morning, put whatever that is away, whether it's the bills or the medicine of my own or, or something like that. She's like, just put it away. I'm like, you're being just paranoid. <laughs> and Caroline was like, no, they look around and they are they are judging us on everything that we do here. So that is Lydia, wouldn't you say, in this case? A hundred percent, yes. She's a person from the state who is judging the quality of the home, basically, uh, whether or not something needs to be acted upon. Well, and it, and, and it may all be on the up and up. Like, you know, I feel like since you've decided to say it was a personal story, these were not state workers. These were people who were who were there because they were therapists. Right. It was that, early childhood intervention. It wasn't right. like the what is it, like CPS or something. Or no, something. but it makes it sound like we say state workers. It was like child protective services. Well, but they do no, answer it was to, like the, an OT, to that same boss. And it was a PT and it was people like that. It wasn't. No, they do not answer to child protective services. No, 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 no. It's nothing like that. But the point of it was that just having all these people in your house right at the get-go, just that part of it is so weird because, you know, you have your own life, like your own normal stuff. And you feel like, oh my gosh, they're like breathing down my neck. And that's completely what this felt like to start with, with Lydia. So I, I do have like some understanding of that. And then the extra portion of like looking around and then you saying something and them just like looking down in their notes and being like, mm. you're like, wait, 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 what did you write? What did I just say? Like, what are you like taking away from this? It's definitely one of those things that you're like, uh, this is too weird. And I felt like Lydia's portion was the most reasonable portion of the of the entire episode. It was the most natural thing that would happen. These these uncomfortable times, you know, since we know Gilead society works in a pretty rigid hierarchy, just where it is that the ants live in that hierarchy because we assumed at least i assumed that the wives of commanders held a pretty lofty status because they were free from right all this stuff mm -hmm. and ants have a lot of responsibility all right lydia's got her book of appointments that she can't have tea because she's so busy right even though i perceived that lydia had a lower social rung than does serena joy I got every impression that, that she could get Serena Joy in any amount of trouble she wanted. I don't think she could get her in any amount of trouble she wanted. I think that she has control over who has a healthy baby in their house. Mm. And so I don't think that she could like, you know, send Serena to the colonies or something like that. But she could very well say this house is not a fit place for a baby. And that's all you'd have to say to ruin Serena Joy's world. You don't have to send her to the colonies. You just have to leave her childless. And that is very doable, I think. That makes a lot of sense that they would have, since they seem to have their finger in the childbearing pie <laughs> up, that's, up to that's the, the second only, knuckle. There's the uh, only pie there is, though, in Gilead. That's the whole reason why they're all doing this. That's the whole reason why Serena Joy can't have sex with her husband. That's the only reason why, you know, their entire lives have been turned upside down for the idea of having a child. And so, you know, I... I don't think she could get her in all the trouble of the world, but I do think that she could ruin that part of her. So, you know, that's pretty gigantic. So what do you think? It, will Lydia and Serena Joy's like friction, is this going somewhere? Was a seed sown there that is now, A, do you think Serena Joy is going to start looking to manipulate something about Lydia? Is she going to start looking for something that she could get Lydia thrown out to the colonies? And or do you think that Lydia now has feeling like, 
uh, uncomfortable and a little, I don't know, like her feathers ruffled about Serena Joy. Lydia is just doing her job. I don't know that she's going to have like a special Serena Joy page, but I could see, I mean, Serena Joy is a spiteful, vengeful, mean-spirited, horrible person. You know, we we saw that she created uh, a huge shitstorm for Nick just because Nick checked in on The Handmaid this episode. It is totally conceivable and likely even that she might check in to see what a commander can do to an ant. I, I could see her saying some stuff just the way that she did with Fred about Nick. Everything that prompted the whole situation. Now, did you feel like Fred gave a hoot that Nick said something about Alfred? Or was it was that being was that one of those things where we were supposed to read it like a stone faced situation? But really, obviously, it must have bothered him or he wouldn't have acted on it. I believe so, because he was he was ignoring Serena Joy up until that point. And then his eyes flicked up from his laptop. And now, why? Why does he give a hoot? Excellent question. I don't personally think that he is on to Serena Joy's subterfuge about Nick and June last season. I don't think that's it. But it still seems like he would, in order for he, him to go through with all this, Nick would he would have to perceive Nick as some sort of threat, right? Because he's he, he initially wanted him moved out. Mm-hmm. And he was kind of talked out of that, but he still got the promotion part. Do you think it was anything having to do with this idea that like Alfred's his plaything? I don't know if that project is still on the front burner for Fred. He seems removed from that right now. But I don't know if you ever give that up. If you're if you're the kind of kind of guy that Fred is, you know, of <laughs> not on the front burner doesn't exactly mean not on the stove. Yeah, I, I could see where he would still have some feeling of like. I'm going to say ownership very intentionally here. I think uh, so too. Like somebody's using playing with your toys. Even if you weren't playing with it, it doesn't matter. It was still your toy. Right, right. You know, and I definitely feel like that there that that's part of it. Now, part of the question mark that I have about moving forward is once that she gives birth, doesn't June get moved out of this household? She gets like a month to nurse, but yeah. So then they would get a new a new handmaid anyway, right? Kind of regardless of Nick and blah, 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 blah. Unknown. Like, I don't know if, if Warren got a new one after Janine left. Um straight away i mean good question i mean maybe that's maybe it's like you have one child that's as good as it gets it might be until you know it, it may be until everybody has one then we start with twos right it might be something like that i mean i imagine it's it's regulated um it's you, an interesting concept because i just wonder if he thinks he's done with her anyway because i mean if she if he is you know then it just yeah intrigue we have this entire serena joy nick storyline that's going on here Now, we feel like Serena Joy is doing this just to be cruel to Nick and most importantly to June. I agree. She creates this situation, just plants a seed, right, in Fred's mind, and that makes him go talk to his boss, which that scene, I'm going to derail us here a second, that scene made it look like Fred was actually a secretary, not super high in the pecking order, maybe not at that. Tell me more. Why do you feel that way? What did you see? What did you hear? I saw a man having to chase after another man and trying to get just a a second of his time, you know? Okay. And that that guy, I forget his name, but he's always been further up the food chain than Fred, but I didn't know that it was such a thing as like, get away, boy, you bother me. It was it was it felt very much like he was he was dragging on him. 
you know, to try to get him just, just please look at me. I need to give you, I need to tell you a couple things, you know. It's nice for me to see Fred in a very subservient position. Now, you noted that you really felt like Fred feels really different, not only this season, but especially this episode. Now, this just must be me, but Joseph Fiennes has played this character with this kind of wispy, reedy voice uh, that it's it's always been sort of soft-spoken, you know? Yeah. And in this episode, there were several moments when he was projecting with a much louder back of the theater kind of voice, you know, and it didn't, I was like, is that Fred? Because, you know, when I'm, when we're watching these shows, I spend a lot of time with my face down taking notes. And when I, so I had to look up to be sure that it was Fred talking because it wasn't this wee, this wimpy little voice of his. You're saying you know? wimpy, but I think you're misunderstanding that voice. That voice is you have more control when you whisper than when you yell. Voices, he wasn't yelling in this episode, though. He was just say, I didn't, speaking that's louder. Not, that's the sentiment. That's not, I wasn't saying he was. I think he wants to be heard more, though. And so one of the one of the things is, though, I think, though, in in season one, they had the lights turned down in the house. It was very all the doors were closed, like all the time. Remember? Mm-hmm. And there was a lot of whispering. There was a lot of he whispered. There was a lot of whispering going on all the time. Everything was like very controlled. And I feel like in this one, more of the houses opened up. We are seeing all these flaws like Serena Joy all these flaws, you know, like crazy amount of flaws going on with her. And, you know, we're just seeing so much more. And I even seeing Fred at work and it turns out he's mid management at best. Right. You know, running around. I think that that that's why his voice sounds different now. I think it's no longer this steady, cool, confident, godfathered whisper voice. Now he's like there's more franticness to it. There's more. Like kind of um like a pinched way that it turns out that he doesn't have as much power and he's been trying he's trying to still look very big. You know, I think the fact that he was doing his work on the laptop at the kitchen table as opposed to going and doing it in his office. To me, that was a very showy ridiculous thing that he was doing like no one else in that house is allowed to have anything to do with that computer and yet he carried it out there and sat at the table and everything season one he would have taken his breakfast in his office with the door closed right there's like a whole different feel that's going on here that's way more like can't you see i'm working because i brought it all out here in front of you it's weird it's weird it's it's desperate if joseph finds brought that level of subtlety to this character with some intention then he deserves some recognition for that because that's that's just a small tweak maybe it wasn't you know? him maybe it was the director maybe it was the way that his lines were written or whatever i don't know i'm not saying he was his personal choice but i am saying that i mean don't you think he's like living out loud more than he was before he was almost like a closeted commander before and now he's like i'm a commander like all the time trying to be all i'm a commander like he's like so much more just like sitting out in the he never would sit at the breakfast table with his papers those papers would have been under lock and key under his locked door in his dark office fred has me a little worried in that last season we got to see the duality of him, right? So we saw the bullshit commander side and we got to see his true self who was the Jezebel side. who didn't care about the rules that he made up for everybody else, right? Right. And this season we're only seeing 
the fake commander side, but kind of amped up, you know, pushing to be in the Canadian delegation, blah, 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 that kind of stuff. And uh, we're not seeing that other side. Now, if you have this kind of deviant side, well, I'm not sure which side is deviant in this case, but if you have this other side that you're trying to hide, you can't hide it forever. That's not how those things work. They usually kind of explode into some show, you know, that, that, that just really backfires for that person on a social basis. So I'm not sure where where, where we're going to go with Fred just being this one-sided person this, this season. Well, so far, and because, and he's been here there very, very little. And last season he was a huge part of this. I mean, Fred was like the main character with June, you know, dealing with Fred all the time was like a major issue always with the Fred, you know? Yeah. So it was huge. And now he's barely there. Also, what about Moira, Paul? Like we like haven't her and Luke are like barely talked about in this season for as far in as we are. I think we're we're seeing some of that that additional three episodes kind of bulge in action, you know, so. Do you mean where they're like stringing it out more? Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. Well, okay, so then let's talk about this other character who now is going to come into play a whole lot due to this Nick storyline. Summarize, Nick's promotion includes a wife, which apparently by the look on his face, I didn't get that he knew that that part was coming. I did not either. I mean, when he opened up the box and, you know, we learned later that there was two rings in there, I didn't think that he knew that's what this was. They just said, we're honoring our guardians. So he had to come out and say he was a guardian. I guess guardians and eyes are maybe different jobs and maybe drivers are guardians. Okay. Um, so publicly he's at the Prevaganza. Well, it's, it's the, it's the same kind of thing that you would open up though. And there would be like a medal, a medal, a ribbon. Yeah. Something like that. Stars, so that made, right. Exactly. Bars. A pin of some sort. Yes. So then it was surprising what it was. Now we do have to, we can take a side jaunt here and laugh about the Prevaganza. Uh, like, Okay, so the fact that Serena Joy was mocking that and being like not one of the commanders like best efforts or something like that. I really wonder about this, right? Like are are we seeing like major cracks in Gilead's yeah. structure here? Uh, I think we're seeing a, a a continuation of a thread set up last season where we got to see she's going along with it because she's with Fred. But she has major reservations about how they got there because of the way that she, a lot of it was her idea, but she was excluded from the table, you know? So she has a lot of sour grapes about the way things have, have wound up. And so I imagine that you, just like Fred, you can't go on living with that. What's the right word there? Uh, resentment be- very long before you, you end up blowing up in front of somebody. Right. And I mean, obviously, old SJ is taking out all of her nastiness on June. The way that she even turned around and was like, oh, he looks so handsome. Oh, my God. She is just like the screwmaster, right? She's like the nastiest thing. Honest God. And it was like she was trying to read June's face. Like, is June going right. to crack now? Yeah. Is June going to crack now? No. Do you think it's possible that this was a two-pronged situation not only would this sort of deal with nick and you know any potential relationship with june but also this would be the type of thing to turn the screws on june and make her crack uh, good question 
Because she had already been already been baiting her. She had already been like, why aren't you talking to me? Why aren't you talking to me? Why aren't you talking to me? Oh, yeah. Maybe I'll give you something to talk about here. If she thought that that was something that would that would be like the catalyst to get her finally talking again, she is as fucked up as we're as we're describing, because what conversation would come from that that you'd want to have? You know, like, he married that girl. Oh, my God. Can you believe that? Or, like, what was supposed to come from that? I think you'd see sincere, real emotion from a person who has managed to, like, turn herself off emotionally and everything and turned into, like, you were calling her kind of robotic. And Serena Joyce, like, it's just, again, she's like a plaything. She's just something to mess with. This is taking her to Hannah. You know, this is this is bringing you right to the precipice. This is bringing you to Nick's wedding after she made you have sex with Nick. <laughs> like, I mean, she is that person, Paul. Like, you're like, what would be the point? I don't know. What would you tell me? Because like, she's but why a would you, psycho. Why would you want a strong emotional reaction? Why, why wouldn't you want maybe just because like that coming probably, out of the shell a little bit? Maybe that would get her tongue cut out. Maybe that would get her, them to chain her up. Maybe then Lydia couldn't come to the house anymore if she had to go be put at the, um, you know, at the Red Center. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, I'm just I'm just like throwing it out there. I, I can't imagine what the hell she's trying to do. But what the hell is she trying to do? You know, what what does she give a shit if Nick and June look at each other? I mean, does that have anything to do with the fact that, you know, she's going to have a baby at the end of all this? No. You know, like, let it go. You know, she definitely seems to want her to know that Nick is now out of reach, like, you know, or at least create a situation where she thinks she'll, he'll be out of reach. So let's talk about this new character, Eden. I, I you guys, this is the caveat that we gave at the very beginning. There's tons to talk about the, about this child bride situation. It's disgusting. It hurts my stomach. It hurts my heart. I hate it. I don't want to talk about it, but we do need to talk about how Eden and the character of Eden is going to affect the storyline. Did um, This is just uh, a completely unrelated sidebar, but, you know, with the royal wedding this week, there's been a lot about Harry's mom, whose last name was Spencer, as is Eden's. And everything that they that we've seen about Diana this week has said uh, what that she was totally prepared for the life that she was getting into, or B, she was totally unprepared for the life she was getting into, and it was way more than she ever wanted. I think it's B, and then so it's interesting coincidence that Eden is a Spencer, and she's stuck in this life that she's. I mean, being ten or twelve or whatever she is, she just has no way. They claim that she's like fifteen. Oh, good lord! I know what fifteen-year-olds look like enough to know that she's not. I don't believe she looks like she's 15 either. I mean, obviously with her name, if you're going to discuss that, the Garden of Eden is like where everything started. Yeah. You know, yeah. so there's something behind that. Um, well, I'm pretty I, sure the Spencer thing is completely coincidental. No, but I like but. that. I like it. I mean, Diana started dating um, Charles when she was 19 and he was, what did they say? 31. 31. Pretty sick, right? I mean, that's a whole lot like Nick and this girl. Um, so, yeah, there's a lot there. And very much like used and abused and burned out. Like the the way that they described it in this show we were watching was... Um, which if you want to watch something like Chasing Diana, something like that, um, it was that she was basically being used as a brood mare, that she had the right background well enough that, you know, she could produce a child and a spare. And that was the whole situation <laughs> for this one was that's basically how Eden's being used too. 
you know, the whole idea is to is to create more children. Now, here's the thing. Here's the thing. If Nick and Eden produce a child, what happens to this kid? Whose kid is this? Where does, where does this kid go? Is it the Waterfords? Do they get it? Do even Nick actually get to raise it in the garage apartment? Maybe. This is just a suggestion. But maybe guys like Nick are in the same essential line of work as the commanders. They're just much lower ranked. Being that they're on that career track, they can have wives and they can have kids. Does that make sense? Okay. But like how he had to come home and and redo some like the uh, wedding readings in front of the whole Waterford family. What was that about? I mean, we've been to lots of Catholic ceremonies, so we know that one by heart. Right. We had that at our wedding. <laughs> but um, it, uh, I think that that had to do with that it's not real until it's done with the family. I'm giving air quotes to Caroline because like how the stupid ceremonies and um, June supplicating herself a couple episodes ago, that's all done in front of the family. This very formal, like it's not official until you do it in the in, in this room in front of the fireplace with everybody watching you kind of thing. What do you think about the part that in that scene, how the commander was like, and I'm going to use a, a term that is disgusting when it comes to the commander, but fingering that chain that it, I thought it could have either been the key to the box that held that Bible that was like up in the, um, uh, you know, up on their mantle that he reads from before they have sex. So I kind of think maybe he was supposed to read that because it was their wedding night. He was supposed to go have sex with Eden. Mm-hmm. That's right. Yeah. So it's that ceremony that was happening. They're they're supposed like he opened the box and then he has the man has to read the scripture before anything happens. Then he has to go have sex with her out in the garage apartment. I guess <laughs> I don't even know. This is so weird. Every when, girl's dream. Uh, really? No, when Serena Joy was hanging out up there and trying to give her all that biz about you know, do you know what's going to happen? Blah blah blah, and trying to like then suddenly again in this schizophrenic way impart all this wisdom about how a man and a woman need to be all intimate and kiss him and blah 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 i got so wigged out when she started saying that kissing part i got so scared that i was like is serena joy going to stay in this room and like somehow like kiss nick while he's having sex with eden like is this what's going to happen because this is getting so weird uh, now we have no idea. We honest to God have no idea what how exactly that night was supposed to play out because it gets cut off by this whole situation with Nick. So he is over there, you know, trying to like smoke out his nerves, I guess, outside. And he comes across June. Now, this part with June in the bushes was bizarre with a capital B people. Yeah. They didn't when we watched it, we watched it a couple times to be like did she fall out a window? Because she's like on the other side of this fence. So her window would have to be just right or she'd be dead. But or was she making a run for it and just couldn't? Nah, definitely not run for it. I don't think so either. I think she I think she supposedly fell out this window, but that doesn't make any sense to me because I thought they made such a big deal in the season one about how this window was like plexiglass or something like that that was totally like could not break and sealed shut. Well, maybe she picked a different window, but that's the only thing I can think of is out a window because she was obviously hurt. It didn't make any sense, Paul. She was wearing that outfit 
that she was wearing when she was sitting on the ledge of the window in her room. And she was doing that weird like wall sit kind of move where she was almost like exerting pressure on her own legs in a way that like would fatigue you. And then what? She suddenly went to another window and fell out of it? Like that doesn't make any sense. And plus, she would have to walk down the stairs to go fall out a window. I mean, oh, it's bonkers bananas. I am utterly unclear how she got outside in the bushes. What was the idea of her like laying out there in the bushes? I have no idea. I mean, it was super sad to have Nick like screaming like in silent screams. I'm, but I'm sure Nick's thinking, thank God you fell out this window tonight. (laughs) You don't know what I was going to have to go do in there. So I'm glad you fell out this window. Did you expect to hear a fetal monitor at this point? I did not. I I did did not not either. Know what was supposed to happen next. I mean, that hospital scene with Serena Joy curled up in that chair. I was just beyond confused, to be honest with you. And she seemed all cleaned up and like whatever was happening with this miscarriage seemed seemed like it was addressed somehow right i wonder do you think she'll be back at home next week after such a thing or do you think next week we pick up back still at the hospital because you know of reasons i vote hospital i kind of hope hospital because i hope that that I mean, being out of the Waterford's house always feels like it gives us more opportunity to get away or do something different, you know, interact with other people. That always feels more hopeful to me. Um, Now, do you think that her deciding to go under the blanket and talk to her baby, what what did you glean from this scene? What was happening? Well, on a very practical level, she wanted to do something that she didn't want the guardians on the opposite side of the one-way mirror to be able to see. So that's like the duh, duh thing. The other thing is she was reasserting June. Like she doesn't have it all figured out just yet how she's going to get along and still be June. But June needed to come back out and she needed to make her statement. And and it's a good one. She she doesn't want her kid to live and, and be raised in Gilead. I especially think that seeing the child bride situation made her keenly aware that, um, you know, the life for her child was going to be insane. You know, she wasn't going to likely or he was not likely to grow up with any amount of normalcy. Like the whole concept of like, oh, well, we have to have a surrogate mom and all that stuff. That's like one situation but this whole thing of like and we're gonna have sex with the children so that they can have children as soon as they can like this is when now you're off the rails you are off the rails because now this is like i yes it was always rape and i never want that to be confused but this is now like a whole other like sexual abuse of minors and stuff that's like now we're just this is just really getting worse and worse and worse are you surprised that she didn't have a thought about hannah because this in a way puts like for sure she was going to this puts a timer Uh on when she needs to get hannah out of there yep in a way i mean that's the way parents think about it anyway 150 percent. i would try be trying to do any amount of math of how old hannah is now when did i start my cycle when do i think hannah might did was she maturing at all the last time I saw her trying to think of anything because that's typically the time or buzzer it's not an age 
Yeah. So it's like, oh, man. And I really did understand Rita's comment about the idea that this is you have to utilize like the longest window possible to have children. So that's from like the first minute you can have children all the way through to when you can't have kids anymore. But going back to Lydia's words, like they put a voice to the whole thing about what about the mental state? What about the the emotional state of the quote unquote mother? Um, you know, and I say that quote unquote, because these are children having children, you know, what about this? Like, what about what you're doing to them? You know, does, does Lydia sign off on this? I wonder if she does. I wonder if she's smiling about these women or children, whatever we're calling them becoming brides for these adult men. Like, is this on the up and up? Yes. From, from Lydia? Was Lydia there? I didn't, I don't know. I didn't see her. I didn't notice there were Martha's wives and handmaids. Yeah. And they did such a a good visual job of like having those colors the way they did. It was very visually striking. That's for sure. And the way that they had those really gruesome white veils, veils, not even the right word. It was like totally something else. It was like having a sack on your head. Like you were like a prisoner, like a hostage. I'm going to give you an example of what I think one plot thread might result from this. Okay. Um, And you let me know what you think might come. I always do. Uh, I think this is going to put Nick in, you know, I would say two, three, four, five episodes in a situation where he, it's not that he has feelings for Eden on the same way that he did for June. It's just, he's responsible for this girl now, you know? Right. It's his wife. And so he's he's going to have to make some sort of choice at some point, whether he continues this business with June or if he because I don't think he, I don't think he can do it both, you know, run both shows, the the, the June uh, tell me about the handmade kind of stuff. And now he has this 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 wife that I like to think he really doesn't want to rape, you know, um, but. No, what's he going to do about that? I don't want to really get into the details of that part, Here's but the, but the being torn in between the two two responsibilities part, I think, is coming. I think that I think there's several things that could happen because we know that Handmaids is likely to have many more seasons. There's other things that could happen. Eden could get pregnant right away, and now he's got two pregnant women. Well, mm. that's more of a responsibility than anything now. Now there's like, if you help one to do anything, then what about the other one? You That could happen. Another thing that could happen is Eden can go either way here. Eden can prove to be someone that can be turned and be helpful to get out of here. She could turn to be some sort of, I don't know what, she knows other information about outside Gilead and outside the area in a way that's like fresh information. You know, they said, I live on a farm upstate. Like they gave all that information mm-hmm. in a way that's like, mm, what else? What else? What other What other help could you be? And also that the mom would have been very sad that Eden was taken um, because they said, did you have a chance to even say goodbye to your mom? And she said for like a minute, you know? Right. Which she dropped her off on the bus. If they could get Eden back to her parents, that could be like a, a like maybe she's scared about what ends up happening with her. I don't know. Maybe she does want to go home to her mom and dad. Maybe maybe they're a stepping stone to get out of here. You know. Yeah. Um. That's a possibility. But Eden could also be 
the worst bad seed person you ever did know and be the little tattletale to Serena Joy and end up being this really wretched little mini Serena Joy who is like trying to exercise her powers over anybody who she can, like slapping the Rita in the mouth. I or could something. see that too, like needing Serena Joy's approval and becoming a toady, basically. A hundred percent. So I think it could go either way. I'm I'm kind of okay with either way because either way moves the story forward. And that's one thing that I do want to talk about a little bit about season two. Like, you know, this is this is many episodes in at this point where I feel a lot like, okay, you know, we we've run in a circle here quite a bit, you know, quite a bit where like this Eden plotline, it's got to bring something new because like the stuff with Kit and Fiona at the colony, Kit dying and everything. I mean, it didn't bring anything new. You know, I didn't feel like not in the big way to me. So I feel like it's like, okay, we, we need to like get, get, you know, start the motor for this season, you know, because we, have gone around. She's escaped. She's brought back. She's escaped. She's brought back. It's like, ah, 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 you know, well, like I, like I described, it was like in the, in the past podcast, they basically undid the first season right. in the first few episodes of this season. So we're kind of starting at the same point right? as episode one, season one. Well, and if we were this many episodes in and it was still season one, we'd be like, God, when are they going to do something? <laughs> you know? You're like, what's happening? Gosh, move along. Come on. You know, yeah. like going back to the colonies, if we have to watch, you know, Emily just like lose another tooth or hoe another, you know, garden field, it's going to be like, like she better unroll the map, you know, next episode, like where they're going to dig their way to China, you know? Yeah. Like something's new has got to be going on here. And especially because they're asking for people to put up with a whole lot of very difficult things to see and and absorb, you know, there has to be some payout for sticking around for child brides, right. you know, like yeah. what's my payoff in my story. You've got to move my story along if I have to see something so terrible, you know? Yeah. So we look forward to hearing what you guys have to think. Are you guys having a hard time? Is this starting to get more difficult for you? I mean, this feels a lot like the times when, you know, in like the walking dead, when some beloved character gets really beat down, you think, I don't know how much more I can take. How much more can you take? What's going on in your head? We totally want to know. We're on talk radio on Monday and Wednesday nights. Uh, Monday night, we will be on so many shows.com talking with our friend Jay. And you guys can call in and you guys can talk about this any old time you like. Find out more on our podcasts on iTunes or our website, dailyreview.com or so many shows.com, where we post all of our podcast for The Handmaid's Tale, Westworld, Colony, and of course, the 150 episodes that we have in our library. Yeah. If you guys need like a break, but you want to still hear the dailies, but you're ready for something a little more funny, listen to the Orville or go back and listen Mrs. to Maisel. Mrs. Maisel. And you guys will get some good laughing dailies instead of us right now being like, I can't believe I saw that with my eyes. Right. Thanks so much for listening. Thanks. Catch us on iTunes or your preferred podcast software. Our website, dailyreview.com, that's D-A-L-E-Y review.com, Facebook or Twitter, or wherever you find us, please leave us a comment and a rating to let us know what you think of the show. Thanks for listening, pot people. Thanks for listening to my mom and dad. You don't have to go home, but you can't stay here. Just go home, folks.